Well, we want to welcome all of you to the morning services of Grace Church here at Franklin, here in Franklin, Tennessee, 4052 Arno Road. We'd be glad to have you come and worship with us here in Franklin. If you're in the Nashville, Tennessee area, we want you to know that we are on YouTube, Ustream, and Sermon Audio Video. Today is the first Sunday of the month, and on the first Sunday of the month, we observe what is commonly called the Lord's Supper, followed by some real supper, some fellowshipping, and uh, some food. And we're glad for you to come and worship with us. Brother Joshua is going to lead us this morning in a hymn. <laughs> Touch fast, Miss Seuss. We'll slow it down a little bit. He was wounded for our transgressions. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. For our guilt, he gave us peace. From our bondage, gave release. And with his strife, and with his stripes, and with his stripes, our souls are healed. He was numbered among transgressors. We did esteem him forsaken by his God as our he died that the law be satisfied and all our sin and all our sin and all our sin was laid on him we had wondered we all had Mountains bleak and bare, and 
want to welcome you to the services of Grace Church today and make a few prayer announcements. Some of you know that Elder Turner was here during Sunday school, but he left immediately following this because Linda is back in the hospital this morning. She's going to have to have another surgical procedure, and so he asked that you specifically lift her up in prayer this morning. We also want to... Re yes, ma'am. Williamson, as far as I understand. <clears throat> Lee Barton has started chemo treatments here in Franklin. We want to continue to remember him as he fights this amyloidosis. <clears throat> also remember uh, his wife, Judy, as she continues to minister to his needs. We want to remember Nelson and Linda Foster. They're not here today. You may have received the email last night. They've both contracted the human Parvo-19 virus. <clears throat> they were pretty sick, but seem to be getting better each day, and they thank you for your pr uh, prayers on their behalf. <clears throat> Some of you also may remember Gary and Billy Seeley, who worshiped with us for a number of years. Uh, a while back, earlier this week, Gary suddenly died from a heart attack at his home and uh, we understand that there may be a memorial service for him on May the 20th. We will continue to monitor that and provide additional details. Certainly, we ask that you continue to remember his wife, Billy. We also um, ask your prayers on behalf of Calvin and Judy LaPetri. Uh, as you know, Judy continues to decline in her health conditions. They have called in some hospice care, which, uh, according to Calvin, has been a great help to them. So let's continue to remember uh, Judy, as well as Calvin and his two daughters, as they minister to her needs. We also want to thank the Lord that uh, Marie Dalton is here with us today. Continue to remember her as she's on the verge of kidney failure. We ask that the Lord might turn things around for her. Continue to remember Elder Turner's 98-year-old grandmother, who's our 98-year-old mother, excuse me, who is also in kidney failure. And uh, Nathan Smith reports he's uh, able to get more sleep, but still having some trouble here and there, so let's continue to remember him. <clears throat> also continue to remember Carolyn Batt. She is now facing some kidney failure herself. <clears throat> we also certainly want to remember uh, Larry Smith and his family as his cousin Scott passed away in Michigan recently after a battle with cancer, so let's remember them. <clears throat> We also want to remind you, if you want to support the ministry here at Grace Church, there's an offering box located in the round table in the foyer. And then we also have our CDs and DVDs that are available free of cost to anybody who wants them. Just fill out a slip, place it in the box, and Lord willing, your copy will be ready next week. You can also download many of our messages on any of the three platforms that we're operating on. So is there any other announcements that I'm not aware of that you want to make known? All right, thank you so much. Good to see all of you here today. Let me add, uh, Todd has mentioned just about everybody, but uh, we'd like to remember uh, uh, Danny and Amy, I guess they're still traveling. Uh, Danny's uh, wife, Amy, her mother, was having some serious issues with a problem that she's had for a while. It has to do with a vascular problem, I believe, and I'd like for you to remember them. The Fosters are not here because they're all sick. Nelson and Linda Foster are ill. They had Linda's sister came in from uh, the state of Washington and brought something with them. <laughs> and they all got sick and uh, was considering putting Linda in the, uh, taking Linda to the emergency room, but she got better. So everything is 
they're to the point now where we think they're going to live, but they have been very sick this week, so please pray for them. On the first Sunday of each month, we observe what is commonly called the Lord's Supper. Our Lord Jesus Christ sat down with his disciples on the eve of the Passover. Now, you know, the Passover is something that is still partially celebrated today by Israel, and it was ordained by the Lord. They were to celebrate that Passover before they left Egypt. They celebrated it on the eve of, of their exodus. So in other words, what happened in that Passover was they slew a lamb, they took blood and put it over the door on this side of the door, that side of the door, and set a bowl in the middle of the door. Now what that teaches us is that you, the exodus is a picture of salvation. It's a picture of being delivered from Egypt, okay? So Christ is our Passover, and they could not leave Egypt until blood was shed. They couldn't be delivered from Egypt until blood was shed. We can't be delivered from sins until blood is shed. And the scripture says almost all things are purged by blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. So this Lord's Supper pictures what our Lord did for us. He procured an exodus for us. He set us free from this world, free from our sins, free from the judgment of God by the shedding of his own blood. As the scripture says, he did not enter in with the blood of a bull or a bullock or goat, but with his own blood. And according to the New Testament, when Christ went into heaven and sat down on the right hand of all power and authority, he entered in there by his own blood. And we have that testimony in heaven that our sins are paid for by the blood of the Lamb, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we celebrate when we take the Lord's Supper. We remember the Lord in his death. Our life, our spiritual life, our eternal life was purchased by him by the shedding of his blood. He took our place. He became our substitute for those who come to him, who believe on him, uh, who embrace him as their Lord and as their Savior. We're going to pray. After we pray, we're going to allow you to come up row by row. Be sure and get two cups. One cup has the bread, and the other cup has the wine, and then return to your seats. And after everybody is served, and we'll partake together. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us, who indeed is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the, of the world. And we are thankful that you gave him and that he willingly gave himself. He said, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. And uh, this commandment have I received of my Father. Uh, so freely given, Father, and we thank you for the freeness of your grace. We thank you for the wonderful thing that your grace has done for us in providing a lamb to take away our sins that we might have our own personal exodus 
that we might be freed from the bondage of the world, free from the bondage of Satan, free from the bondage of our sins. We look forward to the time when we shall see him face to face and be able to praise him personally for all that he has done for us. We ask your blessings now that you'll sanctify these things to our minds and our hearts as we remember our Lord in his death, for in his death is our life. We thank you and praise you in his name and for his sake. Amen. All right, if you'll stand together and uh, just make your way down and partake, I'm going to be reading from John's Gospel, chapter 10. Verily I say unto you, he that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, is the thief and a robber. He that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And to him the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Jesus spake this parable unto them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he said unto them, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He that is only a hireling, not the shepherd, whose sheep do not belong to him, when he sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and he runs and the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. The hireling runs because he is a hireling. He doesn't really care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I am known of mine. As the father knows me, even so know I the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore does my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man takes it from me, I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. It is written, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. We thank the Lord that he took a body that he might offer it up to the Father on our behalf. And after the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. We thank the Lord that having taken a body of flesh and blood, is willing to lay it down for our sake. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he come. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is our atonement. This is our redemption. This is our reconciliation. This is our salvation. We praise you for your great love and mercy, wherewith you loved us even when we were dead in trespasses and sins. We are thankful you sent your spirit to awaken us and to draw us unto thee, that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ we might be justified, cleansed, and delivered from all of our sins. We pray in his name, thanking you for his sake, Amen. You can put these in your pew in front of you, or when the service is over, you could bring them down and put them in these cups up here, okay? All right, well, you want to open your Bibles. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. separate ourselves today from the study of Joseph, and I often do this on the first Sunday, and we're going to look at a, a wonderful but an alarming passage of Scripture. You know, the Bible is brutally honest, brutally honest, doesn't grade on the curve, doesn't cut any corners, and uh, there are things in the Bible I remember years ago, let me tell you where I'm going, Deuteronomy chapter 28, years ago, when my wife's mother lived with us, about 13 or 14 years, and of course we tried to witness to her by our actions and by words, and we brought her to worship, well, she made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I, I baptized her, although she grew up being very, very fearful of water, she nevertheless was baptized without any, any problem. Well, later as she became very familiar with the Bible, she said to Lynn one day, she said, you know, the Bible seems to be an X-rated book. <laughs> and that is exactly right. It is an X-rated book because it tells some very brutal things to us. But I think those things are recorded there for our good and for the glory of God. Now, we're going to look at several passages of Scripture. And I want to remind you, before we read these passages of Scripture, that there are two categories of promises in the Bible. There's the promise of salvation, 
And there's the promise of judgment. And God always keeps his word. Whether it's the promise unto salvation or whether it's the promise unto judgment. Keep that in mind as we read these passages. First, Deuteronomy chapter 28, one of the books of Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 28. This is a warning from Moses to the children of Israel. He gave them many, many, many warnings. If you just read through the first five books of the Old Testament, those are the books of Moses. You'll see that over and over and over again, he warns them. Deuteronomy 28, verse 53. Deuteronomy 28, verse 53. And thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body, the flesh of thy sons and thy daughters, which the Lord thy God hath given thee, in the siege and in the straightness, that is the hardship, wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee, and so that the man that is tender among you and very delicate, his eyes shall be evil toward his brother, and toward the wife of his bosom, and toward the remnant of his children, which he shall leave. He talks about a siege. If you look at verse 52, verse 52, he shall besiege thee in all thy gates until their high and fenced walls come down, wherein you trust throughout all your land, and he shall besiege thee in all your gates throughout all your land, which the Lord thy God given you, and it will be so terrible that you'll do some unthinkable things. That's Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now see if you can find 2 Kings chapter 6. And this is where we're going to spend our time today. Just take your time. You can look in the front of your Bible if you have trouble finding it. 2 Kings. One of the historical books. Chapter 6. 2 Kings. Chapter 6. Got it? Verse 24. And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until an ass's head, a donkey's head, was sold for four score pieces of silver, and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. And the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall. As he was passing by, there cried a woman, saying, Help us, my lord, O king, help us. And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, how can I help you, out of the barn floor, out of the wine press? And the king said unto her, What's wrong with you? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him, and I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And king, she has hidden her son. And it came to pass, when the king heard the words of the woman, that he tore his clothes as he passed by upon the wall. And the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth on his flesh. 
May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, and God's people said, praise the Lord. And you may be seated. Now, I want you to look at that screen and see what I have titled. I have subtitled this message, Nowhere to Go But to the Lord. Nowhere to Go But to the Lord. Now, I've already shared with you that there are two kinds of promises. There's the promise of eternal life to those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's promise of judgment to those who reject and refuse the Lord Jesus Christ. When Satan tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden, he told her four lies. Good for you to know what those four lies are because he still uses them today. Lie number one, he said, God is not good. He said, he's holding you back. You see, he knows that in the day you stake out and stake your independence, you will be like him, right? You'll be like God. And you will be able to determine for yourself what is good and what is evil. If God were good, he wouldn't be holding you back. Lie number two, he said, God is not truthful. He said, can you eat of all the trees of the garden of Eden? Or she said, we can eat of every tree but one. Every tree but one. Why is it that when we can have everything we want, the one thing we can't have, that's what we want? We can have everything but one tree. We must not eat of that tree, for in the day we eat thereof, we shall surely die. And Satan said, God is not truthful because you will not surely die. You will not die. For eating fruit off of a tree? Give me a break. Would God do that? Number three, he said God is not righteous. Because if he were righteous, he wouldn't punish you. If he were righteous, he would only do what you want and what's for your good to make you happy. He wouldn't punish you. The truth of the matter is, punishment comes from God because he is righteous. See, the love of God does not push the righteousness of God out. We get that confused. We say, well, we read over here about, you know, God bringing judgment, and we hear God is love. Well, God loves righteousness. And he loves righteousness so much that he won't let love be shown, not redemptive love, until righteousness is satisfied. So he said, God is not good. He said, God is not truthful. He said, God is not righteous. All of these are lies. And the fourth lie, he said, God's not gracious. He's not gracious because he doesn't want you to be like him. In the day you eat, you will be like God. Now, let me tell you something. The goal for us as Christians is to be like the Lord. That is, to be conformed to the image of the Lord. But it's not to be like God in the sense that we're going to sit on the throne with Him. That's two different things. That's two different things. So those four lies the devil used in the Garden of Eden, he tried to use them with our Lord Jesus Christ, and he uses them today with us. God is not good. God is not truthful. God is not righteous. And God is not gracious. Now, we just read a moment ago 
from Deuteronomy 28, where Moses warned the children of Israel about walking in obedience to the Lord. And he said, if you don't, you have a promise from God. And the promise from God is he's going to bring judgment on you. And the judgment will be so bad on you that you'll do the unthinkable. You'll do things you never would dream you would do. All of us have seen people and read about people and heard about people doing things. And we shake our heads and we say, I don't know how they do that. But if you were put in that same situation, apart from the grace of God, there's not anything you won't do and there's not anything I won't do. Apart from the grace of God, we are capable of anything. It is only the grace of God that keeps us back from those things. So then we, we went over to 2 Kings chapter 6. And we found out that they, have do, they are doing the very thing they said they'd never do. And the very thing that God said would happen to them, if you won't listen to me, has happened to them. Now here's what Jesus said. All of you are familiar with those little stories that Jesus told about the wise man and the foolish man. The wise man built his house on the rock. Foolish man built his house on the sand. Jesus said this at the end of those parables. He said, the wise man is the man that hears what I say and obeys it. The wise man is the person who hears the word of the Lord. The wise person is the person who hears the word of the Lord and desires to obey the word of the Lord. It's not just good enough, my friends, for us to just hear, make a profession of faith, get baptized, and join the church. No. This is a life, a lifetime. This is a lifestyle. This is a way that we live in seeking the Lord all the days of our life and saying, Lord, I want to be a student of your word. I want to find out what you say I should do and what I should not do. And help me, give me grace, give me strength to do it. It's a lifetime thing. Please don't let anybody give you a lie and tell you that you just make a profession of faith in Jesus and that's it. We must seek the Lord, and we must seek Him all the days of our lives, and we must hear Him if we want to be wise. The way to be wise is to hear the Word of God, read the Word of God, memorize the Word of God, and walk according to the Word of God. That's the way to be wise. And those who reject that are fools, and they'll end up as fools. So here we have now 2 Kings chapter 6. And beginning in verse 24, we see that Samaria is being besieged or is under a siege. Now let me give you a quick background. David unified all of the nations of Israel, all the 12 tribes. Then who was the king after David? His son who was Solomon. Solomon became the king. Okay. Then Solomon became foolish in his old age. And he said he built temples and things for other gods because he had married all of these women, and these women influenced him. And so he was foolish. The wisest man who ever lived became the greatest fool who ever lived, which can show you what can happen to anyone apart from the grace of God. Now, when Solomon died, his son Rehoboam became king, 
There was a man named Jeroboam. You're not going to remember all of this, but Rehoboam was Solomon's son. Jeroboam had lived a while Solomon was alive, but he was a dangerous man. So he went down into Egypt. But when he heard that Solomon had died, he returned back to Israel. And he got a group of people, and he went before Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and said, Your father made things tough for us. If you'll ease up a little bit, we'll serve you, and we'll be faithful to you. And he said, Come back in three days, and I'll give you my answer. So they left. And the Bible says that what he did was he asked the old men. Now, you young people, listen. (laughs) When you get old, you're supposed to have a little wisdom. We have more old fools today in America than I've ever seen in my life. Ain't no fool like an old fool. But the old men said to Rehoboam, listen, your, your dad did a good job for most of his life being king. And if you will follow in his steps and look to the Lord and trust in the Lord and rule according to the word of the Lord, the Lord will bless you and you'll have a unified nation and you'll be established. Okay, so he dismissed the old man. Then he turned to the young man that had grown up with him. And he said, what's your opinion? They said, I'll tell you what we'd tell them. My father chastened you with whips. I'm going to chasten you with scorpions. And my little finger is going to be thicker than my, father, than my father's thigh. He taxed you a little bit. I'm going to pour it on you. And the Bible says he wouldn't listen to the counsel of the older men, and he took the counsel of his generation that grew up with him. As a result of that, the kingdom was split Jeroboam became the king of ten ten tribes, and Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, became the king of Judah. Okay? Now, the capital of Israel, uh, the northern kingdom, was Samaria. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom. Jerusalem was the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah. Okay, so when we get here in 2 Kings chapter 6, you'll see in verse 24, it says, It came to pass after this, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. So he's putting this city under siege, Samaria. The, The children of Israel in the north, the northern kingdom of Israel, Their capital is Samaria, and it's under siege. Now, what does that mean to be under siege? The idea behind putting a city under siege is to starve the people into surrender. What you do is you surround the city, and nobody can go out, and nobody can go in. So that means you can't go to the grocery store. You can't go to Kroger or Publix and get any groceries because they're going to run out of groceries, even if you could. And Franklin, Williamson County will put under siege. After a while, people are going to run out of food. That's the idea. It's under siege. Now the people then, after a while, began to run out of food, and they grow desperate. 
How desperate are they? Look at verse 25. There was a great famine in Samaria. And they were so desperate that a donkey's head was sold for 80 pieces of silver. Now, a donkey's head, a donkey is a ceremonially unclean animal that they wouldn't eat it to start with. They couldn't eat it. They were forbidden by the law of Moses to eat anything like a donkey or a donkey's head, but they're starving to death. They're starving to death. And I'll tell you something else. Next time you see a donkey, you look at his head, it doesn't have very much meat on it. <laughs> doesn't have very much meat. But they were selling a donkey's head here for 80 pieces of silver. And it says, in the last part of verse 25, the fourth part of a cab of doves dung or manure for five pieces of silver. They were so desperate. What is a cab? Well, I checked up on that, and the fourth part of a cab is equivalent to about six eggs. That's about how big it is. Take six eggs and put them in a bowl. That's about a fourth cab of uh, measurement. Some have, have suggested that dove's dung really refers to coarse corn or lentils, but I think it refers to manure. That's what I think it refers to. How desperate were they? They were so desperate, look at verse 26. So desperate that women were eating their children for food. My goodness. I said the Bible is shocking. The Bible doesn't cut any corners. The Bible tells, listen, our boys and girls today in this society, they don't have a clue about what's going on in history. All of these things have gone on in history. Much blood has been shed to, for you to have the liberties and the freedoms you have today. And the liberties and the freedoms we have today were based upon the word of God. And the more we forsake the word of God, the less freedoms we're going to have. And we're substituting the government now for God. And we're looking to the government. I'll have more to say about that in a minute. So now the king is helpless. Look at verses 26, 27, 28. He's walking along the wall, verse 26. And a woman cries up to him, King, King, help me, help me. He said, how am I going to help you? We don't have any, any uh, thing on the barn floor, verse 27. We don't have any grapes to give you something to drink like wine. How can I help you? What's wrong with you? And she tells this sordid tale here, verse 28 and 29, that she said, well, I got a friend over here, and she had a baby, and I got a baby, and we, did, we agreed that we would kill my baby and cook it and eat it, and today is time for her to give up her baby, and she's hitting her baby. Now, you think about that. And the king is absolutely... Beside himself, verse 30, when he heard those words, he tore his clothes, which is a sign of remorsefulness, a sign of sorrow, a sign of helplessness. And when they looked up, the king had on sackcloth, which was what you wore when you were 
mourning and calling on God and helpless to do anything about it. Now, I want you to notice something very interesting. The king says, I can do nothing. There's no corn. There's no wheat in the barns. There's no grapes on the vines. All I can do is put on sackcloth, put ashes over my head as a sign of mourning. But there's one more thing the king can do. He can curse the prophet of God and blame him for Samaria's trouble. Watch this now. Came to pass, when the king heard these words, verse 30, he put on sackcloth. Then verse 31, he said, God do so and more to me if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall stand on him this day. Now I want you to notice how religious the king is. He has on this sackcloth and he says, if God doesn't help you, what can I do? And then he turns right around and says, I'm going to kill that preacher. I'm going to kill him. He's the cause of all of this stuff. This is the way of ungodly people. This is the way of the United States of America. We are religious but lost. We never consider. They never consider that all of these troubles that are coming on the United States today from weather to enemies abroad to people coming in causing problems, they never consider that their troubles... We never consider that our troubles are being brought upon this nation because of our sins. We'd rather people not tell us the truth so we can blame somebody else. Don't preach to us. Don't tell us that we're wrong. Don't talk to us about God's anger and justice. Just tell us lies. Tell us that we're really good people. Tell us we don't deserve any of this. Notice how contradictory ungodly people are. When the woman cried to him, he said, if the Lord will not help you, how do you expect me to help you? He's religious. But then he turns right around in the next breath and he says, I'm going to kill Elisha, God's messenger. I'm going to kill him. I'm not going to call on all the people to repent and say these things are coming upon us because God, way back in the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of Moses, he told us that if we did not listen to him, that these exact things would come upon us and we didn't listen to it. Now it has come upon us. My dear friends, there are two confessions and two attitudes. Two kinds of confessions and two attitudes Proven by history. Number one, no individual group or people or state or nation of this world can receive blessings from heaven while rejecting and cursing the Lord or the servants the Lord has sent them. Number two, this ungodly world will always resist and curse God's prophets when they are faced with their own sins. But they will always praise the prophets once the prophets are dead. They say, you know, if I'd live back in the days of so-and-so and so-and-so, I'd have listened to the word of God. They don't listen to them while they're alive, but after the prophets are dead, then they say, well, I, listen. I remember old brother so-and-so. He told us the truth. 
after the dead. Listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read this to you. You stay right here. Matthew chapter 23, beginning verse 29. Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You build the tombs of the prophets, and you beautify, you garnish the sepulchres of the righteous, and you say, If we'd been in the days of our fathers, we would have not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Jesus said, you're witnesses unto yourselves that you're ch the children of them which killed the prophet, so fill up the measure of your fathers. The king sends his messengers to decapitate Elisha. Look at verse 32. Verse 32. Elisha sat in his house. Verse 31, God do so and more to me, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall stand on him this day. That's what the king said. Verse 32. Elisha sat in his house, and the elders sat with him, and the king sent a man from before him. But before the messengers came to him, he said to the elders, See how this son of a murderer has sent somebody to take away my head? When the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is it not the sound, is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he talked with him, behold, the messenger came down to him and he said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. What should I wait? Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? He knows that the king wants to kill him. Okay? Now guess what? We get to chapter 7. I don't know why they didn't divide this chapter and start with verse 24, where we started today in chapter 6, because that's where it really starts. The story starts there. Now we're in chapter 7. So Elisha gives a prophecy, and here's what his prophecy is. Hear the word of the Lord, he says, in verse 1, chapter 7. Tomorrow about this time, you'll be able to buy a measure of fine flour for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel and a gate of Samaria. He said, tomorrow you're going to have an abundance of food. You're going to have plenty of food. Now, they've been under siege for two or three years. They're starving to death. We've already seen how desperate they are. But he said, tomorrow you're going to have more food than you can eat. Now, standing by the king as one of his guards, one of his advisors, and this is what he says. He makes fun of what the prophet said. Verse 2. Then the Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, If the Lord made windows in heaven, this thing might happen. Now what are you saying, Elijah? God's going to open up a, a window in heaven and pour all this stuff down on us? Ha! I never heard anything so ridiculous in my life. And Elijah said, You're going to see it. Verse 2. You're going to see it. But you're not going to be able to eat of it. You're going to see it. You made fun of God's word. God gave you a good word. He's going to give you food tomorrow. And you're, you're ridiculing it. So you're going to see it with your eyes, but you ain't going to have a mouthful of it. You're not going to have any of it. All right, now here's the picture. Get this now. Don't lose the picture. Samaria is under siege. They got them surrounded. They're desperate. They're doing ridiculous things, things they said they would never do. Outside the city, there are four guys that have leprosy, verse 3. Four fellows that have leprosy. What are they doing out there? Well, when you had leprosy, they wouldn't let you into the city. 
you had, you had to live a lonely life. Many times later, they developed what they call leopard colonies. But here are these four lepers outside the city. And uh, they said, verse 3, why are we going to sit here until we die? See, they don't have any food either. They're outside the city, but they have no food. So here's what they say. Let's read it first. If we say we will enter the city, verse 4, then the famine is in the city and we'll die there. And if we sit here, we'll die here. So let us go and fall into the host of the Syrians. And if they save us alive, we'll live. And if they kill us, we'll just die. You see what they're saying? They're saying, look, we, if we stay here, we're going to starve to death. We don't have any food. We go in the city. There's no food in the city. We're going to starve to death there. And eventually, we're going to die anyway because we got leprosy. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go into the camp of the Syrians and throw ourselves on their mercy. That's what we're going to do. And if they kill us, well, we were going to die anyway. It might be better to die of a sword or a knife than to die of starvation. So what do they do? Verse 5. In the twilight, in the late evening, they went into the camp of the Syrians, and when they came to the edge of it, the outside of it, they couldn't find anybody. Couldn't find a soul. Verse 6. Here's what happened. They were lucky, right? No. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And those Syrians said one to another, The king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. They're coming on us. Let's get out of here. They arose, verse 7, and they fled in the twilight and they left their tents and they left their horses and they left their donkeys and they left the camp what it was with all of their jewelry in it, with all their money in it, and with all their food in it. And these four lepers, verse 8, they come into the camp and they're going from one tent to another trying to find out if anybody in there and nothing in there but food and they say, man, look here. And they're eating themselves, they're gorging themselves, and then when they find some jewelry, they go out and hide it. That's what they're doing. Finally, one of them came to themselves. Look at verse 8. The lepers came to the uttermost parts of the camp, and they went into one tent, and they ate and drank, and they carried things from there, the silver and the gold and the clothing, and they went and hid it. And then they came again and entered into another hit, another tent, and they carried everything out of there, and they went and hid it. Then all of a sudden, one of them had a little guilt come on him. <laughs> and he said, wait a minute, verse 9, we're not doing right. We're not doing right. This day is a day of good tidings. Same word we use for gospel. Gospel, good news. This is a good tidings. And we are holding our peace. We know that there's plenty of food out here for the entire city. We know that there's more gold and silver out here than we can carry away. The city is bankrupt. Let's go and tell the king what we found. So they came, verse 10, they came to the porter. The porter is the person who's standing at the gate to kind of guard it. 
Remember when Jesus told a story and said, I'm the door? I'm the good shepherd? He said, to the good shepherd, the porter opens. So this is the porter. And they told him, saying, we came to the camp of the Syrians, verse 10, and there wasn't anybody there. We went to one, one tent and another tent. They are all gone. Their horses are still there. Their donkeys are still there. Their tents are just like they were. And they're gone. It's empty. There's more food out here than you guys can eat. And uh, they went and told the king, verse 11. And the king said, nah, 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 nah. I'm smarter than that. i tell you what these Syrians are doing. They're doing that on purpose to draw us out there thinking they've gone. And then when we get out there, then they're going to come in and take this city and kill us. So the king said, I'll show you what the Syrians have done to us. Verse 12, they know we're hungry. Therefore, they've gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying when they come out of the city, we'll catch them alive and we'll get into the city. You see, they are very pictures of you and me where we won't believe the truth. Those lepers say, there's plenty of food out here. Plenty of food in Christ. He's the bread of life. He's the water of life. He's God's Messiah. He came into the world to save us. Say, ah, sounds like a bunch of malarkey to me. I don't believe that. Sounds like something somebody made up. Sounds like a fairy tale. We're getting too smart today. We're, we're trusting science, you know. So, the king, finally somebody persuaded him, said, verse 13, well, look, king, let's just send a few men with a few horses, five of the horses that remain in the city. We only have five horses left. And uh, let's go out and send a few men. So verse 14, they took two chariot horses, and the king sent out to the host of the Syrians. He said, all right, go out there and check it out. They went after them, verse 15, all the way to the Jordan River. And all the way was full of garments and vessels and silver and gold and beautiful clothes once the Syrians had cast away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. Verse 16. Have you watched on television before when somebody has a grand opening or a grand closing that say we're going out of business? And there'll be hundreds of people standing at the door. I saw this on television two weeks ago. And when they opened the door, people ran in and they stampeded several people to death. Trying to get in and buy a belt or a pair of pants or a shirt. These people have been under siege for three years. They're starving to death. And when they came back and said, man, those lepers told us the truth. There's all kind of stuff in there. Those people just went crazy. And they ran through the gate. And guess who's standing there at the gate? That porter that made fun of Elisha. I said, yeah, if God opened up the gates of heaven, he opened up some windows on heaven, that might happen. He's standing there to control the people who are coming out of the goat, of the gate. And look at this now. Verse, 20, verse 16. And the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians 
So just like Elijah said, a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. And the king, look at this, verse 17, and the king appointed the Lord on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate and the people trampled him in the gate and he died as the man of God said who spake to him when the king came down. It came to pass, verse 18, as the man of God had said to the king, two measures of barley for a shekel, a measure of fine flour for a shekel shall be tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. And that Lord answered, verse 19, the man of God, and said, now behold, if the Lord should make windows on heaven, this might happen. And he said, Elisha said to him, behold, you will see it with your eyes but you will not eat it. And so it fell out unto him. The people trampled him to death in the gate, and he died. Just exactly like God said. My friends, listen, do you believe God? Do you believe him? He's got two promises, judgment and eternal life. He has given us, he has told us ahead of time what's going to be happening here in these last days. We are like those lepers. We've got the leprosy of sin from which we will die. Their question in verse 3 was, why do we sit here and die? Verse 3. Why do we sit here until we die? So I ask you the same question. You got something worse than leprosy. You got sin. And it's going to cause not only the death of your body, it's going to cause the death of your soul. Why do you sit here till you die? When there is food for your soul in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they said, if we go into the city, there's no food there, verse 4. So if you go to this world to find your fulfillment and your happiness and satisfaction for your soul, you're not going to find it. Because this city is, this world is just exactly like Samaria. It is completely, completely empty. It cannot, it cannot satisfy you. It cannot give you what you need to eat for your soul. He said, if we stay here, verse 4, they said, we'll die of starvation. This world doesn't have any food for you. So let's throw ourselves on the mercy of the Syrians Verse 4, they can only do two things to us. They can spare us or they can kill us. And when they are throwing themselves on the mercy of the Syrians, my friend, they're throwing themselves on the mercy of God. Because <laughs> only God can make the Syrians have mercy on them if they were there. But what happened is God drove the Syrians off. If they spare us, we'll live. If they kill us, we'll, fa we'll only face the same fate we're facing right now, death. And so they went into the camp, as we just saw in verse 5, to beg for mercy, and God had cleared them all out. <laughs> and the whole camp was deserted. And what did they find in that camp? Well, they found all they needed. They found clothing for their nakedness. That's what we have in Christ. We have clothing for our nakedness. They found wine for their thirst and bread for their hunger. And that's what we have in Christ. And they found silver and gold for their poverty. The poverty of soul that we have is all in Christ. He's the gold of heaven. He's the silver of heaven. He's the wine of heaven. He's the bread of heaven. 
He's the righteousness, the clothing of righteousness that we need to stand before God uncondemned. What they do, they began to bury what they found, verse 8, until they were smitten with guilt, verse 9. My friends, those of us who know the Lord, we know the truth. What are we doing with it? We're burying it? When we say we know the truth, we say we believe the gospel, we need to be telling people. We need to talk to them personally, individually, and invite them to come and worship. This world, and especially this nation, is under the curse of God. To whom much is given, much shall be required. The judgment will be a lot heavier for the United States because of the great blessings that God has given us. Now we are slipping into idolatry and sin, just as ancient Israel was. The United States has been blessed as no other nation on the face of the earth. But we have forgotten God, the God who made us great. And now we praise ourselves, and we praise the might of our military, and we praise the wonder of our technology. And we are rich and increased with goods, and we have need of nothing. And accordingly, we've gotten to the place where it is illegal to talk about Jesus Christ in many public arenas. We insist on teaching evolution as the explanation of our existence. And we sanction lifestyles that the Lord calls an abomination. And yet we have the gall to stand up and sing, God bless America. We are as deceived as ancient Israel was. Israel did not believe the Lord, neither do we. Israel did not escape the judgment, neither will we. The Lord said, if you don't listen to me, you're going to get to the place where you will do unthinkable things, things you said you would never do, you'll do it. And if God says you'll do it, my friend, and you don't listen to him, you'll do it. We are a nation of hypocrites, religious, just like that king was, but ungodly. We talk about the Lord and then we do our own thing. The Lord delivers He delivers his people, and here's the good news. He delivers us when all hope is gone. Listen to this passage from Deuteronomy 32, which is what I read earlier. Verse verse 36. But the Lord shall judge his people and repent himself for his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is none shut up or left. When you get to the end of your rope, the Lord will come to your rescue. Notice this, not a shot was fired, not a battle was fought, and those Syrians left. The Lord said, it is not by might, it is not by power, but it is by my spirit, saith the Lord. Now listen to me for just a moment, I'm going to close. How many of you have ever heard of the World Economic Forum? Okay, it's called the WEF. We are beginning in the United States... In 2023, we are at the beginning of desperate times, perilous times, the scripture says. In the last days, perilous times shall come. Men will be lovers of their own selves. The WEF is the World Economic Forum developed over 50 years ago and has become a sophistication, a sophisticated collection of global leaders that are getting set to try to rule the world. One of the things we're headed to is a cashless society. 
You ever thought about it? You go down to the bank and you write a, something on a piece of paper called a check. And then they, they say they put something in your account. You never see the money, do you? I've told you before, look on your money. That's not money you got in your pocket. That's a note. That's a note. It says this note. Your money is your land, your houses, your jewels, your diamonds. That's the money that the paper we have in our pocket stands for. If you have a cashless society, it means that you won't be able to buy or sell or anything unless you have a card. And then they'll tell you what you can buy and what you can sell. It'd be a cashless society. Due to the fear of a health crisis and pandemic because of what, what we've just gotten over, the people are beginning to look to the government to take care of them. Multitudes blindly and foolishly bow down to every command of those that are in power. Now we have artificial intelligence that is as intuitive and as intelligent as humans. I saw a report the other day that said that the artificial intelligence computer can write a thesis or a sermon in 10 seconds and put a spin on it that is distinctly you. Children in school are using these, this program to write their papers and the, the teacher can't say that they didn't write it. Civil unrest and lawlessness in over two dozen nations. Wars and rumors of wars stirring dozens of global con conflicts like China and Russia and North Korea and Iran. They are stirring the pot for war. And many analysts tell us that World War III is now almost a certainty. We're beginning to see the signs of the days of Noah. Did you know this? Did you know that Japan has created mice from two males? So men becoming women is a uh, uh, just a simple transition for that. Turn to 2 Timothy 3. I'm almost through. 2 Timothy chapter 3, New Testament. See if you can find it. Look into the front of your Bible if you can't find it, and it'll tell you what page it's on. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I've referred you to this many times in the last several months, and I, I just quoted part of it. We're seeing a stunning rise in the darkness that's presented in 2 Timothy chapter 3. This know that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of themselves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemies, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, which means they have no self-control, fierce, despises of those that are good, that hate people that do good. How about that? Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, and they are religious while they're doing all that. They have a form of godliness, verse 5. But they deny the power thereof. They deny the Lord Jesus Christ. The other day on television, I guess all of you know who Bruce Jenner was. I saw Bruce Jenner win the decathlon many, many years ago at the Olympics. And he ended up marrying Mrs. Kardashian. And now Bruce Jenner is a, a woman. What's his name? Catalina? Something like that? The other day he was asked. This is on television, so I'm not saying anything he didn't say. He was asked the other day. 
What do you want to say to God? You know what he said? I want to ask him, did I do enough? Did I do enough? No, sir. If you could do enough, he wouldn't have sent his son. When you ask a question like that, it shows you don't have a clue about what it's going to take to get into heaven. It takes the blood of God's son. It takes him rendering perfect obedience to the law and then dying in your place. Oh, my soul. It says evil men and seducers. People are going to be seduced by folks. The city of Franklin just approved the right for gays, lesbians, homosexuals, transgenders, and cross-dressers and all the rest of them to have a parade. And they said, well, you know, everybody has rights. Yes, you have a right to express yourself, but you don't have a right to a parade. You have to be granted the right to a parade. I don't have a right to go down and have a parade. And you don't either, and neither today. But they granted it to him under pressure from this society. I know some of you may or may not watch the Grammys. You may have not heard of the Commonwealth Games. I know you know about Hollywood. I know some of you, probably some of you saw the halftime at Super Bowl. All of that is satanic influence. I'm just going to say this and I'm going to close. At the Grammy Awards, participants bowed down and worshipped a satanic horned creature, supposedly the devil. Sam Smith and Kim Petras performed a song entitled Unholy which included Sam Smith in a red devil costume and a hat with horns surrounded by performers, some of them in cages, wearing red costumes and dancing seductively with flames around them. Viewers were made to think that they were peering into hell. Have any of you ever heard of the Gothard Base Tunnel in Europe? Okay. At the celebration of the Gothard-based tunnel attended by Europe's most powerful leaders, and get, what is the Gothard Tunnel? It is the world's longest tunnel project in history. It goes through the Swiss Alps, and it took 17 years to complete, and it is considered the symbol of European unification. And during an eight-hour ceremony, a goat man, a Baphomet, you need to know what that word is, I'll describe it to you in just a moment. B-A-P-H-O-M-E-T, a Baphomet. You've seen this statue. By the way, they created a Baphomet, and it's in Detroit, Michigan. And a Baphomet is a man that has a goat's head, that has breasts like a woman, that has all the parts of a man. It's a mixture of male and female that has an arm pointing down to hell and, and an arm pointing up to heaven with two Latin phrases on it. The one pointing down means separation. The one pointing up means we get it together. And uh, this Baphomet, at the dedication of that tunnel in Europe, this goat man... People bowed down to him at the end of the ceremony. The goat man was declared to be the king of the world. And all of that was televised to millions of people. 
You may not have seen it here, but they saw it in Europe. A statue unveiled by the Satanic Temple in Detroit, Michigan, nearly nine feet tall, the statue of a hermaphrodite, which is flanked by two smiling children. I have two little children standing here, four and five years old, looking at this hermaphrodite, uh, which is male and female combined in one person. What are we doing today in the United States? We're trying to do rid of pronouns. You don't, you don't call somebody a him or her or anything. It's going to be a combination of things. And you know where that came from? That all came from the East. Came from the East. You see, in America, we, we have a, a standard based upon Scripture. Let's take, for example, uh, in, in, uh, in America, in the English language, we're limited to something is either this or it's that. Can you follow me now? It's either this or it's that. But in the East, it's both this and that. So you're both a male and a female. You cannot be distinguished. It's becoming blasphemous to try to distinguish between the two. You're both. And that's what they're pushing on us in this country. And they're doing that with these philosophies, these teachings, these gatherings, and these uh, hermaphrodite uh, statues. The satanic temple wants to move that 900 miles from Detroit to Oklahoma and erect it at the Capitol building opposite a Ten Commandment monument. Now, the only way the government in Oklahoma could get around it, they said, well, you can't take things like that and put it on government property. So what, what does that mean? Well, it means you have to remove those Ten Commandments too. So, The name Baphomet dates back to the 1100s, to the Inquisition when millions of Christians were tortured, were killed, were burned at the stake because they were not part of the Roman church. Now, I don't hate the Roman Catholic Church. I don't hate people in the church. I feel sorry for them, but that is a matter of history. You go back and read it and study yourself. Just like the Civil War. We had a Civil War here. They're saying that man is part animal and he's part human. He's part male. He's part female. Whatever God says we are, they want us to say we're the opposite. Now, do you see what happened to Samaria? That's what's going to happen to the United States if we don't change, call on the Lord, seek the Lord while he may be found. He's going to keep his promise. He's going to keep his promise to grant eternal life to those who come to Christ. And he's going to keep his promise of eternal judgment to those who refuse him. Let us pray. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your precious word by which we learn the truth of who we are, who you are, of the way to heaven, that it is through Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. I pray that you will have mercy upon these United States. Lord, that you will grant that we, your people, might do all we can to bear witness of the truth inasmuch as you have shown us the truth as it is in your word. 
Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for the cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for the blood of Christ, who is our substitute, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. O Lord, have mercy upon us in this nation. Grant that we might have a real awakening, a real calling on the Lord, a seeking the Lord, that you might once again give us a reprieve from the judgment that is coming. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus. We ask that you would bless our time together and our fellowship as we partake of the food that has been so graciously given. How wonderfully blessed we are in this nation. We have all an abundance of food and abundance of blessing. We ask your blessings upon us. Use us for your glory. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it for his sake. Amen.